Morning, everybody. We're in a series of messages called God Wants to Be. And we're, when we start throwing around words like God wants to be, and then we fill in the blank, where do we go for that kind of truth? Yeah, we go to the Bible. And uh, this is going to be in the way. So, in, this is part three. In part one, we said God wants to be known, and we preached that whole sermon out of the book of Ezekiel. Exactly. And then in part two, we said that God wants to be with his people, and that thought, that sermon or whatever, that message came out of the book called the Bible. <laughs> and uh, we went through kind of the whole thing, and uh, in, a, in a pretty short time. And today we want to say this. We want to, God wants to be heard. And so to kind of flesh out this point, we're going to use kind of a bit of an obscure or uncommon verse in Scripture, and we're going to use an uncommon page in Scripture. I want you to, my Bible's over there, but I'm going to do this. Uh, can you pass me my Bible, Sheila? Everybody else, grab your Bible. Open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Everybody got Matthew, chapter 1? If we were doing what we used to call sword drills, hold your Bibles like this to Matthew, chapter 1. Put your finger in there so you don't lose that page. Okay? Everybody who's got a Bible, this is the, as many Bibles as we have in the church. Okay, a couple of phones are up. <laughs> nice. Okay, so, and that's, that's cool. It's just totally not going to work for this on your phone. But anyway, <laughs> this whole sermon, I want you to look at this page just in front of Matthew. Mine's basically blank except for a few notes on it. Does everybody have a blank page in their Bible? Most Bibles that I know have like a blank page there. That's today's sermon. Out of that blank page. And an obscure book, uh, obscure verse from the Old Testament. That's what I want to talk about today, the blank page. Everybody has one in your Bible and I want to talk about it. But I'm going to throw out, and it's actually this whole concept that God wants to be heard. And when we tie it to that blank page in your Bible, it actually has everything to do with Easter. And it's going to be an odd verse about Easter, and I'm looking forward to Friday and Sunday because we're going to just get straight into talking about Jesus, and we're going to read about his story, and we're going to talk about that again. But we're familiar with that part. I want to talk about a part that we're not as familiar with, which kind of sets the whole tone there, okay? But I'm going to drop some, a few little pieces out as bait first. So if you look at John chapter 10, for instance, in your Bible, John chapter 10, verse 22 is this interesting verse. It says, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. And it was winter. So when we get to the yellow words, I just always do this so you guys engage with me, right? When it 
you guys say the yellow, okay? Then it came, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Where does that festival of dedication come from? Nice work. Most people don't know that. And some, some people breeze over this verse thinking, oh, it's just one of those festivals in the Old Testament. There was a whole bunch of festivals and feasts and stuff, and this is just one of them. It's not. In the Old Testament, they had the Passover. They had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was the Feast of first fruits. They had the Festival of Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles or Booths or some different names for those same festivals. But they did not have the Festival of Dedication. And yet in the New Testament, in the book of John, Jesus, and it's during winter, Jesus is walking around in Solomon's colonnade during the Festival of Dedication. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. I want to throw out another interesting thought in, uh, in Acts chapter 6. It says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Hellenistic, in case you're under, unsure of what that word means, just means like, if I was to make up a word, it means to be Greekified. The, Greek, the Greeks have influenced so much so when, when they become, when they take on the culture and language of, of uh, Greece, and you could say Greekified, that means, that's what Hellenized means. That's the Hellenistic Jews were the Greek Jews, and then there's the Hebraic Jews. You might think, who cares? But it's an interesting question because in the Old Testament, you don't have any Greek Jews. There are none. And now they got Greek Jews. What's going on there? The answer is in that black blank page in between, just before Matthew chapter 1. That's where it is. And so now I want to read to you a very, very troubling and uncommon and uncomfortable uh, verse out of the Old Testament. It is Amos chapter 8, 11, and 12. This is like the basis for this sermon. This is where this whole thought message spawns out of this. This is in which testament, the old or new? This is in the Old Testament. And it says this, Amos was a prophet. And he said, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, so these are the Lord's words. When I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Wouldn't you love to have been Prophet Amos to deliver that message? <laughs> what an absolutely horrible thought. Let's pray. Jesus, that verse shakes me 
and bothers me. And so, Lord, could you wake that up in us? Could you help our minds to engage with what your thought is for this morning, Lord? Your truth, come to us and speak to each one of us in a way that is personal. We invite you here intentionally, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's think about uh, the Old Testament a little bit. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego? They were taken captive to which country? Babylon. What was the name of the king? Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about that in the book of Daniel. That is close, that is close to the end of, chronologically, that's close to the end of what the old, the old, the, uh, where the Old Testament closes off. But it actually closes off the Jewish people get taken captive to Babylon, but then Babylon gets taken over by the Persians. And we know this, this is in your Bible, you could read about this in Ezra 1 verse 1, for instance, because it talks about Cyrus, the king of Persia. And he takes over from the Babylonians, and he is actually somewhat favorable toward the, peop the Jewish people, and allows guys like Ezra and Nehemiah to go back and start rebuilding their broken-down temple and city. Are you guys familiar with these stories? That's where the Old Testament closes off. Okay? And so I'm going to make a list, just so we understand this a little bit. Go to the next slide there. This is what happens. I'm going to just call this, this is like the blank page history in your Bible. And we're going to go through the different rulers that ruled over the Jewish people. And so the last one in the Old Testament is the Persians. You can read about Cyrus in a number of places, but Ezra 1 verse 1 would be an example. About a hundred years, and there's about a 400 year period of time on that blank page in your Bible. About a hundred years after the Old Testament is done, after the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, about a hundred years later, there's a guy that shows up on the scene. You guys might have heard of him. His name is Alexander the Great. Anybody heard of him? He shows up. He's Alexander the Great of Macedonia. He shows up. He conquers the whole Persian Empire. Alexander is recognized and wants to be recognized as a god. And he establishes the Greek language in the Judean area. And he founds a city named Alexandria in Egypt. And he introduces the Greek culture into that Judean area. But he's fairly friendly to the Jewish people. We're going to go through these 400 years pretty quick. I just, there's some parts in here that are fascinating, okay? And we're going to just, this is the Coles notes. His empire... Alexander the Great, his empire breaks into four pieces. Two of them directly affect the New Testament and what we know about the New Testament. First come the Ptolemies of Egypt. They intensify the Greek culture in this Judean area and the Greek people into Judea. In fact, the Septuagint is written during the time of the Ptolemies. The Septuagint, which is, comes out of that Latin word for 70, tradition would hold that six people from each of the 12 tribes got, they got together these 
72 scribes or 70 scribes. And they wrote a Greek copy, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And they call it the Septuagint. Paul, in the New Testament, when he quotes the Old Testament, most of his quotes are actually from the Septuagint. That's where that's where that comes from. That Septuagint was written during the reign of the Ptolemies. Then come the Seleucids of Syria. And they got a guy named Antiochus III, who is the ruler when they take over. And they become the rulers of this Judean area over Jerusalem. Antiochus III has a son, and they called him Antiochus IV. <laughs> you guys are good. And uh, wouldn't it be just a lot easier if we just kept that going on today? It'd be a little disturbing if we had kept that going for like 2,000 years, because I don't know who I'd be. Leonard the 497th. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. Anyway, so Antiochus IV, they actually call him Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He, he wanted to be known as a manifestation of God. He tried to impose unified Hellenization. In other words, he wanted ex absolutely everybody in that nation, the Judean nation, to be, I use the word Greekified, to become completely taken up with the Greek culture, the language, the culture, the whole bit. In fact, he wanted this so much, let's just say he was really passionate about it, okay? He goes off on a military quest, and when he is in Egypt, he actually takes a licking from the Romans while he's in Egypt. And when he comes out of that, he is angry. He takes his anger out on the Jewish people and is so passionate about wanting everybody to be Greek that he starts killing everybody who says no. And so if somebody, one of the Jews, for instance, says, no, I'm going to follow Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, I'm going to hold on to my Jewish upbringing and Jewish roots like that, he killed them. Then there's this guy named, uh, I want to make sure I don't get ahead of here in my notes, I'm trying to be careful. Oh yeah, you can read there's, there's prophecies in Daniel that you can actually read about this time, which is fascinating. I'm not even going to touch on that this morning. This is about 200 years before Jesus was born. During this time, the Seleucids essentially destroy the temple. They remove all of the artifacts. They remove the things that are in the temple that would have been used to worship Yahweh. They decimate and destroy and make the temple unfit for worship. A Jewish priest named Mattathias lived during that time. He was an old man, but he saw himself, he was a devout Jew, he saw himself as a kind of Phineas. You guys remember the name Phineas from the Old Testament? You guys remember the name Phineas from the Old Testament? I don't mean to bore you guys with his stories, but, but uh, so there's like four people who raised their hand when I said Phineas. Phineas, if you have never read the story about Phineas, read it in the Old Testament. It's pretty graphic. There are people sinning 
gross, disgusting sin and the plague of the Lord is coming upon the Jewish people, and Phineas is the guy who stops that plague by killing somebody. So that story is in the Bible. Matt- Mattathias sees himself as a kind of Phineas because when Antiochus comes and says everybody becomes Greek, actually he sends a guy to give this message. One of his henchmen comes and says, everybody adopts the Greek culture or die. Mattathias stands up to him and kills him. And then promptly says, everybody who's for the Lord come with me and they run. (laughs) This is what Mattathias does. And his kids, he runs with his five sons. And they start leading a revolt. And they earn themselves, they're so passionate and zealous in this revolt, they earn themselves a nickname. You know what their nickname is? The Maccabees. You might not think that's a really cool nickname, but you know what it means? It means hammers. When you are passionate and zealous for a quest like this and earn the nickname hammers, you can imagine the stories that come out of that. And I just thought this would be a fairly fitting description. So when you see this, and if you don't know who that is, that's fine, just pretend it's Judas Maccabee and his brothers, okay? (laughs) And if you know who it is, you know that there's some authority that comes with that hammer or whatever in this movie. That's fine. You can go on to the next slide. I just want you to think, that's Maccabees. They earned themselves a nickname, the Hammers. They were fairly effective at their work, and you can read about those stories in history, okay? But there's lots of miraculous stories where they would have a very small force, and they would obliterate large armies that came against them. And it was exceptional. And they were actually somewhat, they were very successful in what they did. And Judas Maccabee, he's the son of Mattathias. In 164 BC, he takes the territory where the temple's in, and he actually rededicates the temple to the God of the Old Testament, to Yahweh. And so he sets up in the Old Testament, you look, in the Old Testament, this is, they had something... This is just a variation of it. This isn't what they had, and there's a bunch of differences. They didn't have candles back then. They had lamps, whatever. It's different. But anyway, this is, they had a seven, a candle stand, a golden one with seven branches on it, seven lights on it. And that's in the Old Testament. Mattath- uh, Judas Maccabee, or Maccabeus, he comes, and in 164 years, 164 B.C., he rededicates the temple, and tradition holds that when he goes to light that menorah, they wanted it to burn for eight days, but they only had enough oil for one day. And they lit the lamps, but they burned for eight days. Tradition holds that. And so when you see... And so this feast of dedication that they have has another name, which is already pointed out. The other name is what? Hanukkah, which we... Here, celebrated all the time. And when people celebrate Hanukkah, they celebrate with a nine-fingered menorah. It just, they just use the middle one to light the other eight. But the eight stand for those eight days of this menorah burning. That's where that comes from. That, happened in a, that first feast of dedication happened in 164 B.C. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is in Solomon's colonnade when, that, when they're celebrating that 164 years later. Or plus the age of Jesus, whatever, less than 200 years. But that's in John chapter 10. 
Some Bibles, even in John 10, 22, some Bibles don't even say Feast of Dedication. They just say Hanukkah. And that's what they celebrate. Do you know that Hanukkah is going to get celebrated? I think it's December 22nd to 30th this year. Then we'll keep on going in history. Judas Maccabeus dies. The Seleucids resume control. Although most of the persecution is stopped. And then we have this time of self-rule under the Maccabees. It's kind of a semi-rule. The um, Syria, the Seleucids still have control, but they have given some to the Maccabees, and there's a bit of a semi-independence going on there. One of the descendants of the Maccabees, his name is um, Hasmon, and so they have this Hasmonean dynasty that carries down from there under the semi-self-rule under the Maccabees. During that time... And over time, under the rule of the Maccabees and the, the descendants of, the Greek culture really gets grabbed in that area, in the area of Jerusalem. So much so that there are some Jews who still hold on to their Hebrew traditions and language, and there are some, who, some Jews who grab on to the Greek culture and the Greek language. And that's why in Acts chapter 6, when we read, there's some... Hellenistic or Greek Jews, and there's some Hebraic Jews, and there's a problem because there's a bit of a social divide and there's a language barrier. That's where it comes from. And so that language barrier, and this is an interesting point. So if we go back to that list for a second, or just go to the next slide. I think it has that list. We're going to get to the Romans in a second. But that language barrier that happened during the number five, the self-rule under the Maccabees, there's so much Greek culture, and then there's some that are holding on to their Hebraic culture at the same time. And out of that, people start having two names that they go by. It was pretty common for people to have two names. That's why it's a little bit confusing sometimes in the New Testament, and you see it with some of the disciples, and you see it with a guy like, like Paul. What was the other name that he went by? Saul. There's a, there's a funny misconception in the church that Saul in the New Testament, that Jesus said, from now on you're going to be named Paul. That didn't happen. Acts chapter 13, verse 9 is the first time that it happened, and it just, or that his name is just mentioned as Paul, and it just said he was, called, he was Saul, and sometimes he was called Paul. But the whole point is that when he's, he's preaching to the Hebrews, he went by the name Saul. And when he's preaching to the Greeks, he went by the name Paul. This is a Greek, Greek version of the same name. Interesting little thing to just stick in the back of your head there. And in the three times that, that his, his road to Damascus experience, when he encounters Jesus, he's always called Saul. And that story is recounted three times in the book of Acts. He's always Saul. That's the name that he was going by when he was in the Hebrew area. Anyway, interesting. The Hasmoneans uh, give a lot of power. This is interesting. So the Hasmoneans give a lot of power to the priest, and the priest becomes actually has the authority of the ruler. And what is something typical that would happen when you give a lot of authority to uh, the religious leader, and you combine that into one person? When you give one person too much power, what happens? Yeah, I would say corruption. 
is common. Not, not always, but that's pretty common. That's what happened there. There started being, being some corruption. Two groups kind of show up during that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees are uh, opposed Hellenization. They oppose the power of the ruler and the priesthood as the same person. And the Sadducees support the Hellenization and they support that whole concept. You want to know something really sad? You guys have heard about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Have you guys heard about the Pharisees and Sadducees? They had differences. Very specific differences about how they understood things. You know what? You know when they united? Against Jesus. Isn't that horrible? Then we get into the Romans. Of around 60 years before Jesus was born, the Romans are taking more and more area, territory. Their influence is becoming really more and more pronounced, and they, they take over the area kind of gradually. In 37 BC, there's a king, a Roman king. His name is Herod the Great. Have you guys ever heard of Herod the Great. Where have you heard about him before? In the Bible. Yeah, he's in the Christmas story. That's the same king. He, got, he started ruling 37 BC. And that is the same king that the Magi went to visit when they said, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. And so it makes sense why he would be a little intimidated by that and not see that very well. He knows the culture, the background of these Jewish people and the revolts and stuff that's come out of them. And so then I want to point out, in the Old Testament, not everybody had the Holy Spirit like we have in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit typically only worked in certain people at certain times through guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and Amos. King David, on, he wrote Psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But not everybody had the Holy Spirit like we have today. And so when we get to the key verse of this morning, it's my understanding that that key verse applies to those approximately 400 years on the blank page of your Bible. And the key verse, and we'll go back to this in Amos 8, it says this. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And we could talk more about that. What exactly does that mean? It's a fam it doesn't necessarily say it's a famine of the Lord speaking, but it's a famine of hearing Him. And so some of the miraculous stories that history holds seem like God is still working evidently there. He's setting up a stage for when what's going to happen. What happens next? Yeah, Jesus is coming, right? And I'm going to explain why I think Amos 8 applies to those 400 years. Because at the close of those 400 years, we start seeing some very interesting things. In Luke chapter 1, in the time of King Herod of Judea, he's that Roman king, Zechariah the priest goes into the temple to worship. 
the temple that was, they're dedicating it, they have a festival every year. They've had that festival for 160 some years already then. He goes in and an angel appears to him and starts telling him words of the Lord. Is the famine over? In the same chapter in Luke 1, we see Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's dad, right? He becomes filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy. Is the famine over? Seems to me like the famine's over. In chapter 2, Simeon, another man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit told him that he wouldn't die until he had seen Jesus. The Holy Spirit is speaking to people. Is the famine over? I think the famine is over. In Luke chapter 3, it says the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist. We can't be in a famine of the words of the Lord anymore. The Lord is speaking. Amen? <laughs> and quite literally, if the, here we're talking about a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. you're unfamiliar with your Bible, you should open up to John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. What's another name for Jesus? The Word. Quite literally, the famine of the words of the Lord is over when Jesus starts speaking as a human on this earth. Amen? Because He is the Word. He was the Word. And the Word was with us. The famine is over. Amen? <laughs> you guys don't seem quite as excited as I'd hope you'd be. I think you think I'm tricking you. So I just want to ask you a question. If the famine was a famine of food and water for 400 years, okay, we'd all be dead, but would it, you, play along, okay? If the famine was a long famine and we're, it's been a long famine and we're just like, the famine's over. Oh, Guess I'll go eat. <laughs> like, once a week, I guess I'll go have a little snack because I have to. Famine's over after all. Does that make any sense to anybody? The famine is over. You don't just sit around. Yeah? It would be good to eat. Amen? Like, we can relate to that. So the famine, there's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord, and the famine is over. Amen? Amen. Let's point that out. Here's what I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate that today. I want to celebrate specifically two things. Number one is this. I think this has everything to do with Easter. But I want to celebrate that God wants to be heard. Number one, that not all the rest of the pages in your Bible are blank. Amen? If you took your Bible and you hold the pages that are the New Testament that come after the blank pages, they're not blank. And you know why they're not blank? Because the famine is over. Amen? That's amazing. And if you, man, if you want to try living your life just based on the Old Testament, your life would look a lot different. We got a lot to be thankful for. The Lord could just sit back and he could have just had a famine for 4,000 forever years. But he didn't. He came as the word. He actually came and he broke that famine. 
I think it's worth celebrating. Words like this, like Jesus says this. Listen carefully. Jesus said, for I gave them, this is when he's praying to the Heavenly Father, and he's talking about the disciples. And he says, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. The famine's over. Jesus received the knowledge, words from the Lord, and he spoke them to his disciples. It says it right there. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we know this, all Scripture is God-breathed. The entire, even the, it includes the New Testament. That is all God-breathed words. The famine is over. I, want to, I think it's worth celebrating that. Here's the second thing I want to celebrate. Within the rest of the non-blank pages in your Bible, the New Testament, are promises like this. I am, okay, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I am with you. Okay, is that a good promise? Amen. I am with you always till when? The very end of the age. Not till Saturday or not till next year or something. He's with us always to the very end of the age. That's an incredible promise. Jesus is the word. And if the word is with us to the very end of the age, is there a famine going on? No, there's no famine. The famine is over. But you might think, okay, but didn't Jesus go back to heaven? And isn't he sitting at the right hand of the throne of God the Father? Yeah, he is. So how does that work? And I'll just explain this again. John 14, Jesus actually explains it. I don't have to do any explaining. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. How long? That's the same time that Jesus is going to be with us. Hey, even a guy like me can figure it out. And actually the Holy Spirit, remember what Jesus just said? He took, when he was walking here on earth, he took the words from God and he spoke them to his disciples. Do you know that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus just said is going to be with us forever, does exactly the same thing? Look at John 16. I'll let Jesus explain it again. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he'll make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me and he will make known, or what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit, who does the same thing that Jesus did, takes wisdom from above, from Jesus, speaks it to us, is going to be with us for how long? Forever. The famine is over. In case it's not super clear, John 7 says who this promise is for. John 7, so there's a pretty important word there right in the beginning. So I'll just read the reference and you say the yellow. That The yellow word tells you who the promise is for. John 7, 38 to 39 says, Ooh, Are you Whoever? Whoever you are and whoever I am, we are whoever. Right? 
Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, died and rose again, which is what Easter is all about. And then 50 days later, what happened? The Holy Spirit comes on everybody. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. For how long? Forever. <laughs> That's why I want to celebrate these two truths. We have the New Testament. It's the Word of God. Jesus came. He is the Word of God. And we have the Holy Spirit with us forever to communicate to us the words of God. Are we a blessed people? Is this something worth celebrating? That's pretty important to understand what will happen in those bl that blank page of your Bible so that you can actually know and be confident that God actually wants to be heard. There's something in God and we don't understand Him, but we can know for sure that He has a desire to be heard because He called Himself the Word. He came and spoke it. He spoke it to His disciples. He left it with us. Lots of people tried to wipe it out. It stayed alive. It still is alive. And we have the Holy Spirit to interpret it. Amen? I think that's, I think that's worth celebrating. I'm not sure. There's all kinds of ways we could do I actually thought we should have like streamers and balloons and muffins for everybody or something, little cupcakes, a little sprinkles on there or something. I just that all just doesn't seem right. So I'm just going to pray. And maybe just by recognizing, maybe, in fact, I think celebrating that we have the Holy Spirit, we have the New Testament, one way of celebrating that is listening to stories of people today who still hear from the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear, if you want to come to prayer evening tonight, you'll hear one of the stories from the people that's sitting here right now. One of them is going to tell us a story about how they heard from the Holy Spirit recently. And it's further evidence that the famine is over. Amen? I love it. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, there is so much that we... I could say it this way, Lord. There, is, there are actually quite a few things we don't know for sure. But there are some things we do know for sure. One is, Lord, there's, there's many things that we know for sure. You love us. You want to be with us. You want to be known, Jesus, and you want to be heard. Lord, I love it that you use the word, the, or the name, the word, to describe Jesus. And we have Jesus with us forever because that's what he said through his Holy Spirit forever, the Spirit of truth. Lord, I pray that we would not take that for granted. That we, even as we come close to this Easter season, and maybe we've got Easter gatherings today, Lord, I just pray that we would understand how good it is that you have a desire to be heard, and we heard you and still hear you. We love that, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.